0: Welcome to Creative Resolutions in Action, a podcast that dives into the real world of Manitoba with a mixture of smart conversation, expert advice, behind-the-scenes stories, and straight talk from leaders in government, business, industry, academia, and civil society. Creative Resolutions in Action, Manitobans building strong communities. And today I have the great pleasure of sitting down with my colleague and friend, Marilyn Fair. Marilyn Fair is the Executive Director for the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources and Commissioner on the International Joint Commission. You have so much experience and incredibly important work. I just want to know what keeps you motivated. Why do you do this?
1: Yeah, I've had a lot of Fantastic opportunities come my way. I've worked hard and I'm so thrilled about the recent appointment to the International Joint Commission because it gives me an opportunity to expand all the water work I've done to bring some ideas outside of uh, this region and into the transboundary region and to both on the water side and Indigenous relationships side. I'm hoping for great things there over the next four years. How I explain to people what motivates me. First off, I've got a long-standing um, problem with authority. So right then, I just <laughs> I, I want I, issues of justice and change and, you know, people having their voice and a fair share of, of kind of engagement in what's happening in Canada. Those things just matter to me. I don't know why I was born that way. Um, and I just love water. And so, so much of my work, I love being around it. I love the look of it, how it makes me feel. It's just intangible things like that, that just keep me, you bring those two things together. And now we've got 30 years of work working on water and justice and legal issues. And I just was
0: wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your history with Seer and about your history as a lawyer and, you know, really how you ended up doing what you do here in Winnipeg.
1: Sure. So I have been a lawyer for about uh, 30 years now. And I was, I got my degree at the University of Manitoba. And halfway through my degree, there was a really amazing event that happened across Canada in the political world. It was called the Meech Lake Accord. And I watched Indigenous people and uh, take on really Canada's constitutional system as Brian Mulrooney was trying to do a constitutional amendment. And it was just the most fascinating real-life story about Indigenous people and their rights and how they fit into the political system. And that's what really started it for me. After that, I went and I volunteered at the Assembly of Manitoba Chiefs, and then I ended up working in a law firm that did a lot of Indigenous stuff. And and, uh, through that, I met people, uh, chiefs, where we eventually worked together to create the Centre for Indigenous Environmental Resources, or SEER.
0: Well, that's excellent. It's funny, I remember as clear as day the Meech Lake Accord. I remember Elijah Harper. I remember the moment where everything stopped. And it's fascinating because we're probably pretty close uh, in age then because it was a defining moment for many people of our
1: generation. Well, it was, and I remember um, being amazed because I was in law school. I was almost two-thirds of the way through, and I had yet to have any courses that dealt with anything indigenous, no indigenous rights, indigenous land issues, nothing in law school. so I remember thinking what is what is this all about and I was just both amazed and outraged that that I didn't know more about this and that and yet watching the power of the of Elijah there with his eagle feather, and I know that he had lots of other supporters like Phil Fontaine and others with a whole plan to, to really stand up for Indigenous people's rightful place in the Canadian governance structures. And it can look back now, I don't think I realized at that moment that it would lead me to where I am, but there's a direct link. You can see 30 years later, I'm still basically working on those same issues. And so then we jumped 30 years ahead, and and
0: you're the director of the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources, and you've held that position for almost
1: 25 years. A variety of evolved. I started by helping them set it up, and then gradually it became a staff person, ultimately, sort of in-house counsel, and then the executive director. Well, and it's quite an amazing organization.
0: It's really one of the only uh, Indigenous environmental charities um, in Canada right now. And I believe your board is made up of uh, influential chiefs and and, uh, uh, thought leaders around the environment around law and around how we can move forward respecting everybody's rights and bringing everybody's thoughts
1: and ideas to the table hmm yeah no and they they created the organization almost I look back we didn't realize it at the time but they created the organization almost as a a reconciliation type organization because they said environmental issues require lots of different knowledge systems different people from different backgrounds because environment like water doesn't just stay in one location, animals don't just stay in one location, air moves and so you need people from different places and different skills to be able to truly solve a problem anywhere so our staff are both indigenous and non-indigenous and we bring in lots of forms of knowledge and yeah and they really are a strong supportive board, some of them have been there for a very long time.
0: Well it's interesting how, how we got to know each other, we um, I, I've always admired your work from afar And I know when I got the chance to sit down with you and talk about water, um, as you know, I've been trying to work in this water world for quite a while and and also um, I have a a strong belief that some of these problems have to be dealt with at that local government level. And often we allow all of the problems dealing with the environment or, or any of these really tricky issues to be handled at higher levels of government. But really, decisions on the ground are the decisions that have the most impact and can happen sometimes the quickest. And as you said, water knows no boundaries, as well as other things like carbon and and air quality, etc. When we started to brainstorm on how we could uh, begin to tackle the issue around water protection, um, climate change, and governance, we kind of came up with a new way forward, and I just wondered. What you, If you want to talk just a little bit about what that way forward was and why we focused on Indigenous government and local government.
1: Yeah, I've got to say, I've been one of those people who totally neglected the local government level my whole life. As a lawyer, I had this idea that the municipalities are delegated bodies from the province. The only game in town is the province because the municipalities just do what the province tells them to do. And indigenous governments have relationships with federal and provincial governments mostly. And so I completely neglected that whole idea until I met you and started to understand the huge influence that municipalities have. And also I learned about that from a not great situation, which is trying to move treaty land entitlement processes in the province seeing the huge economic benefit and the path to alleviation of poverty and a whole bunch of things that can happen as a result of creating reserves but the resistance that would happen at the local level to that happening and so it became clear to me through talking to you and also because of the work i did in the northwest territories where i saw there, when I was working with the government of the Northwest Territories for the Minister of Environment at the time, um, Michael Miltenberger, how much they'd been able to accomplish working just, just saying, we're going to treat indigenous governments as governments. We're not going to debate that anymore. We're just going to sit down at the same table and do everything together, including making laws to economic projects to a whole bunch of things. And, and that's whether they have land claims settled or not. It's just, that's how we're going to treat each other because we need to, we won't move forward Mm -hmm. if we don't. And I saw them, it's one thing to say that, but it's a very different thing to actually do it. And I saw them do it. They were successful in doing it. So Marilyn, can you just say a little bit
0: more about your experience in the Northwest Territories? That project you worked on up there really was, was groundbreaking work. It brought in governments at all levels. It brought in business, industry, federal government, provincial governments, the territorial government. You came out of that with a completely new structure to move things forward.
1: Yeah, I was hired um, as a, the chief negotiator for the government of the Northwest Territories to negotiate transboundary water agreements between them and the, the surrounding jurisdictions, which are B.C., Saskatchewan, Yukon, Alberta. Um, and, and I did that work for six or so years and successfully negotiated an agreement with Alberta and B.C., which are upstream, and there's pretty significant development in those territories. The water flows from their jurisdictions through the oil sands, for example, into the Northwest Territory. So there's a really big concern. And what I saw in doing those negotiations was they created tables, they brought in Indigenous people into the negotiations. They We had advisory groups and working groups and people as part of the negotiations. And what that is showing is that there's multiple inroads. There's not just one way where you have one set of conversations when you go out to consult with Indigenous people and you do that kind of near the end of the process, that that's not at all the way that you structure their relationship. You actually have to bring in everybody from the beginning, and there's nothing really that's off, the, off limits or off the table in terms of what you can talk about. So while I was also up there doing that, there was um, a process uh, underway of co-drafting legislation. And it wasn't the first time they'd done it, but drafting legislation is really seen by provincial and federal governments as their purview and you don't involve anybody until the end phases of this. And so they, the territorial government, turned that on its head and said, we're going to start from the very beginning with everybody in the room, and we're going to actually write the law together. And the minister at the time, I said, Michael Miltenberger, coined this phrase all hands on the pen. So it was indigenous governments, the provincial government, I mean, the territorial government, their lawyers, they all just sat there and wrote this law together because laws affect everyone and if you want agreement on how to implement them and that they're the right law, you need to build it together like all things. Absolutely. And so that thinking filters through all the things that they do there and that's what I brought from my teaching kind of from the north was to try to explain or share that with southern folks, people in my area, like around here and others, and and to figure out how can we do that here? How can we bring that thinking here? A lot of what you
0: took away from your experience in the Northwest Territories has really guided us in the process as we develop the collaborative leadership table. For those who don't know what that is, that's really a groundbreaking, one-of-a-kind initiative where we've gone back down to the local government level and we've brought 12 Indigenous chiefs and 16 mayors and reeves together at that that local-level government to say, you know, we've got some similarities um, in the things that you want to address. And I think one of the first meetings we had with the chiefs and the mayors, we found it really fascinating. They all had the exact same concerns and wishes and desires for their communities, and it was they wanted to have a strong economy and good jobs for residents and, their, and, and, and youth. They wanted to have uh, services to make their life of residents better. And they wanted to have an environment, an environment that was healthy, strong, that they could pass on to future generations. And from that starting point, that touch point, we were able to start to build this relationship. And um, it's fascinating because we've also brought in some of the recommendations from the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, as well as some of the principles of UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I think it's important that we've connected indigenous government and local level municipal government with these higher international objectives and goals. I just wondered if you could give me your thoughts on the importance of connecting boots on the ground government
1: to these higher level international goals. My view is for sure that things like the TRC recommendations and the United Nations Declaration, well, there's many roles for them to be placed into law. And I understand that I really think though that we just need to start implementing them, we just need to do it. And so I'm really interested in projects that, or initiatives that do that, that, that show how you ultimately build partners and consent with Indigenous people, how, you, how governments do that together, Indigenous governments and all levels of other governments. And so for me, the interest here was water decision-making the most water decision making happens at the ground level. That was something I came to understand and thought, there's so much unexercised power between indigenous people and their local municipal neighbors in the authorities they have, the jurisdictions they have, if they could, I don't think they see each other as partners. I think they look outward to others, higher than them, for example, or however they look at their jurisdictions, but they don't see that their very neighbors have common issues and that they could consolidate their vision and their ideas, even even on one issue. Even if they decided to do just one thing in common together, they would have so much more strength and ability to accomplish something. And so that was really where I saw actioning out the United Nations Declaration and, and TRC. And it, it was interesting because it started, though, with those chiefs and mayors that you talk about and Reeves having to recognize and seeing if they did recognize or agree that the status quo wasn't good enough anymore that they they weren't exactly sure how to get where they wanted to go but the current situation just wasn't acceptable any longer there they had to find a better way and so that's the piece that sort of kick-started their their agreement and understanding on that they kick-started the process and kick-started all of us being involved right because we each brought you through winnipeg metropolitan region and myself through seer and michael through his northern experience and other players with, you know brought our skills to the table to try to help work them through a reconciliation process that would get at breaking down some of those barriers and moving towards seeing each other as partners and the indigenous it wasn't just the chiefs and and their councils that mattered or their communities, it was also the regional indigenous organization, the Southern Chiefs organization and Grand Chief Jerry Daniels and his elder advisor at the time, Gary McLean, who since passed on, who were instrumental in, you know, bringing everybody together to make a commitment just to see if they could figure it out. It wasn't at the beginning a commitment yeah, we're in this together. We had to give it time. And they had to have multiple conversations to see if it would, if they would get to a place where they could make a commitment to each other. And they did. And I just wanted to
0: also mention to the listeners that if they want like to see um, the video on the CLI and like to see the process that was captured by real-world media, we have it online at collaborativeleaders.ca. And I'd like to say thank you very much, Marilyn, for talking with us today about this and I look forward to talking with you about the part two as we move forward. Before we sign off we've been asking all of our guests if you could speak to one person in the world who would that person be?
1: Okay so the person I'd like to speak to is a woman named Christine Lagarde. She was the head of the International Monetary Fund and now she's the head of the European Central Bank and she is I tweeted about her a few weeks ago, and I've been following her for a long time because she's a phenomenally articulate, smart, powerful woman who's really works in a, a very probably male-dominated field, and it is incredibly successful. And the co- tweet that I quoted a couple of weeks ago was um, her saying, "When catastrophe hits, you bring in women to to solve the." to to fix it to solve the problem and I just thought I just admire her for her strength and her ability to really make things move and I just would like to meet her and and talk to her about how she's done her work and how she's faced and overcome some of the challenges and barriers because she really works in a very very powerful set of structures.
0: Wow well thank you Marilyn that's fascinating and I'll have to check her out for sure thank you for sharing that with us. And thank you all for joining us today on Creative Resolutions in Action. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out episode four, where we talk with Robert Sanford, the EPCOR Chair of Water and Climate Security at the United Nations Institute for Water, Environment and Health, where we talk about the impact of a changing climate on our water, and in particular, Lake Winnipeg. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast. Like and tell me what you think of these conversations in the reviews and also who else you might like to hear from. And be sure to watch for Episode 6 next time, where we talk with Dave Bowles, who is the Vice President of the Winnipeg Communities for GenSTAR Development and the Chair of the Urban Development Institute of Manitoba. Creative Resolutions in Action, Manitobans Building Strong Communities.